Welcome to Life on Less Meds, a podcast that reveals the truth about drug side effects and the best strategies to manage them. And now your host, Dr. Yosef Wittering. Hi, I'm Dr. Yosef Wittering. I'm delighted to be joined today by Matt. Matt's really kindly agreed to share his experience with psychiatric medications. Uh, he got he got started on them and then um, things kind of went from bad to worse and he ended up with some pretty nasty side effects, some of them still enduring today. And he, he really wanted to come on and, and just talk about his experiences, kind of getting on medications and then kind of how things snowballed out of control. And, you know, um, and he has a lot of, a lot of really good insights on that. So, Matt, uh, thank you so much for coming on and, and, and sharing your story. And I'll let you jump right in. Maybe you could just start, like, how, how did this whole thing begin? Sure, yeah, thank you for having me. Um, so this whole journey began when I was 17. Um, at the time, I, I was experiencing uh, waves of really rough depressive symptoms, um, experiencing some suicidal ideation, um, and in between those periods, uh, just intense anxiety, and it kind of went back and forth between them. Um, I, I think there were a lot of factors at play that I didn't recognize at the time, but looking back, make a lot of sense. Um, I, I've got a, a fair amount of trauma in my, in my upbringing. Um, I've been through a lot of really intense and terrible things. Um, so I, I, I definitely think that, you know, un, unresolved, um, trauma is, is responsible for a lot of those things for at least myself. Um, but I don't know, I never really considered any of that at the time. Um, I also, you know, I, I, about halfway through high school, I started to, um, you know, drink at parties with my friends and smoke weed from time to time. And I didn't realize at the time, but I'm, I'm a really, really, really sensitively, uh, chemi- like chemically sensitive person. And, um, that kind of stuff has a big impact on me. Um, I think it affects everybody differently and you can't really, you know, use, um, blanket. It's like, you can't, you can't lump everybody in, in the same way. Um, cause you know, I, I remember when I would smoke weed, uh, as a teenager, I would, I would vividly hallucinate and, and like, like visually wow. audio, all of it. And my friends, you know, would tell me, that doesn't happen on marijuana like that's not possible and they'd be smoking the same stuff you know so it wasn't like it was laced and I was getting bad anyway um, I think everybody responds differently is the point and um, in retrospect I think all of that stuff was kind of chemically putting me into a lot of those depressive and anxious spells that I would get um, combined with you know stuff going on at home and school and and whatnot um it it kind of just created this perfect storm and Mm -hmm. uh honestly because like compared to what's happened since getting off of these medications and what i experienced on the medications um all of that seems like a a cakewalk now (laughs) like wow um i would consider that comparatively to what I've been through as side effects of these drugs, that was all very minor stuff. Um, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not anti-med. I, I, I can't make 
decisions that are right for anybody else but myself but I just feel a responsibility to um, share what can happen with these meds and encourage a movement toward uh, you know disclosure um, uh, informed consent and uh, you know I, I think that the way that these drugs are handled is really unsafe um, and so that's kind of my intention with sharing my story. That's great. Um, and, uh, yeah, so tell us, like, so uh, so, how did all of this start, you know, with, with the medications? Like, um, uh, walk us through, like, when you started getting on them and then, and then when things kind of turned on you. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it was right when I turned 17 is when I, I was di- diagnosed with... I want to say generalized anxiety and maybe some sort of something depressive. I forget what the exact coding um, or diagnosis that they gave me was, but um, I don't know. I, it started with going on a low dose of Prozac. um, And I remember just feeling very like intuitively, I'm a, I'm a very intuitive person and I, I just, there was always something that felt off about the whole thing to me. Um, I didn't really buy it when they were telling me how these drugs worked. Um, based uh, like based on my previous understanding of drugs and building a tolerance and all that, I didn't understand how these drugs could be different. And I, I asked in the office, like, what's the difference? But like, how is this not going to addict me to it for life when it's, you know, like, why isn't my nervous system going to get used to it like other drugs and need more, you know, mm-hmm. for the same effect? And it, it just kind of, I don't even remember what he said but it was just like it felt like somebody making stuff up as they went along and um and i i don't know it just never sounded legitimate to me and um, oh they say stuff like oh don't worry these things aren't addictive you know oh yeah there might be a discontinuation syndrome but it's just like a couple weeks and you should be fine you know that's that's usually like the line that that's that's said at the time so yeah, and it was and, and that's like completely that. like not realizing that to everyone who's not like a doctor in this little niche, like a drug being addictive, it's synonymous with it being dependence forming. That's like that's what you meant. You're like, I don't want to become dependent on this thing. You know, I don't want to need to be taking higher and higher doses. Yeah. And so it's this like two step they do, which is kind of shifty to like almost make it seem like oh you you know nothing to worry about here. Yeah, so, and yeah, it's probably what you felt. It, it feels yeah. it feels very much so like entrapment, and I don't think everybody does it on purpose. You know, I don't think every psychiatrist is like a bad person trying to addict people to drugs. Like, I'm not on that bandwagon, but I do think that there's a lot of lies in the system. I think that most of the information being provided on the way these drugs work is from the pharmaceutical companies selling the drugs. And therein should lie, you know, a red flag, a conflict of interest for a lot of people. But um, anyway, it's just, I think that's, I think it's a dangerous game that is being played. Um, It has destroyed the past several years of my life and I'm, I'm starting to get my life back, but um, we'll get to that. Um, Yeah, I, I, so I started with the low dose of Prozac. I really didn't buy it when it came to like non-habit forming and um 
they told me that I would be on it for you know a year maybe, and then they were gonna you know bring me off of it. Um, anyway, I didn't really notice any kind of. I don't remember to be quite honest, because it was ten years ago. I don't remember all of it. All I remember is feeling more tired and not really feeling any kind of improvement in most of my symptoms, uh, which were, you know, anxiety and depression. Um, it didn't feel like it helped. It just felt like something I was told to take, and so I did. Um, and, uh, yeah, about a year and a half into that, no one had brought up with me any kind of a plan to take me off, like they said. Um, I barely saw the psychiatrist ever, um, and I just kept getting prescribed the pills. So I was, you know, holding steady, I think it was 20 milligrams mm -hmm. at the time. And then uh, I, I moved to California to go to college um, in uh, a suburb outside of Los Angeles, and I didn't find a psychiatrist when I moved. And at that point, I, I was still was, you know, I was an 18 year old child, basically, like I didn't, <laughs> you know, I didn't like know how to do laundry and, and make my own doctor's appointments and shit like that. Like I, I didn't yeah. know how to, how to be an adult. So, um, you know, I had just gotten to college and I was very much so growing up. Um, and so I just never bothered and I didn't want to be on the meds ever. So I just thought, whatever, I'm, I'm just done with this. It didn't help. Um, so I, I just cold turkey and I didn't tell anybody. Um, and uh, the anxiety in particular just skyrocketed when I did that the first time. It was like 10 times worse than I'd ever experienced and still far less than what I'm experiencing today. But um, it was really, it was intensifying dramatically. And um, the, the low swings, the depressive spells were getting darker and deeper and more serious. And um, I was having a hard time getting through class. Uh, anyway, my parents insisted that I get back on uh, the meds and that I find a psychiatrist. So I, it was like winter break. And when I got back to school, for the second semester, I found somebody near campus and I started going to him. Um, he put me back on Prozac. It didn't help at all. And it, it felt like, especially the anxiety was getting worse and more like more severe. Um, and I was, I was really struggling to get through school. And uh, finally he just made the decision to uh, switch me um, very abruptly from Prozac to Cymbalta and um, so he switched me with no, there was no kind of like tapering or anything just took me off Prozac put me on Cymbalta it went from really bad to really like it, it just kept getting exponentially worse the more we messed around with this stuff and um, the Cymbalta I mean <laughs> I, I feel like it turned me into a different person honestly like I didn't recognize myself or the way I was behaving it was it was scary um I still felt like I was mostly in control like I didn't feel like I was gonna do anything particularly outrageous in public or anything like that but 
um, my friends and family were saying like you are acting like we've never seen you before and it was scary I would you know I felt that was the first time in my life I ever felt bipolar um, was like I would go for the mood swings were like I would be insanely energetic and like like on fire like we got to do stuff and then you know just pits of hell depression screaming at people crying like it was hmm. it was weird it was this weird split like I, I could take a back seat and go this is not me um it's very and yeah, it was very and around about this time i mean kind of are you still you know dabbling in cannabis any every now and then or is that kind of gone and it's just mainly just the the prozac and the cymbalta no yeah. Yeah. At that point, the the cannabis was gone because I felt yeah. like that's not safe to be doing on top of all this. Um, mm -hmm. So I finally reached that conclusion, and that was gone. I I did, you know, I stayed in communication with the psychiatrist about alcohol, and you know, he encouraged me not to drink too much, but um, told me, you know, in don't drink in excess of this amount or whatever. And mm -hmm. there was still like a you know, a, a legal <laughs> limit for me. Um, so I don't know. I, di I do think I was drinking from time to time, but it wasn't like constant or anything. It was like socially when I would go to parties or whatever. Cause you know, again, I was a freshman in college. Um, okay. Sure. So I was, you know, I was involved in that kind of stuff. Um, Did you ever stabilize but... on the Cymbalta or was it just this kind of like mood swings, like ever since you were on it? It, it kept getting worse. I never stabilized. Oh. It, it kept okay. getting worse. New symptoms were popping up. I suddenly started to have serious insomnia, which I never had. Um, yeah, that, that came up. Uh, the anxiety was, was intensifying dramatically to the point that he finally put me on. Uh, this is when I got introduced to benzos. So, yeah, I went on. Uh, Adivan as needed, but I like I had an understanding of how drugs work, so I never wanted to um, become dependent on it. Um, and the first time I took it, it was like the best high I'd ever had in my life, <laughs> and mm -hmm. I didn't take much. You know, I took what I was prescribed, and uh, it got me insanely euphorically high. And um, I. I was like, okay, this could be a really big problem for me and I don't want to, cause he told me like, this is how much I'm giving you a month and it's never going to exceed that. So I knew like, I can't get addicted to this. Like I, I, he's not going to be, you know, shelling these pills out. I've got to keep this in check. Cause this is not like, I, there's a ceiling on this. So, and I didn't want to, you know, be popping the pills all the time. So I, I would be very careful about when I took it and time it around things that I needed to be at my best for. Like if I had um, some kind of a social gathering I was going to, or, you know, something with school that I really needed to be at my best, like I would save it for that and then not take it the rest of the week and be in horrible withdrawal. Like, honestly, this is the way I look at it now. Um, but yeah, it was just, I, I didn't have a baseline. There was no like concept of a baseline at this point. I was so all over the place all the time. And um, it, it just kept getting more intense. And then, you know, the insomnia got so bad that he put me on, I think it was Seroquel. Um, 
And the Seroquel made me like go into this like dream state where I would just run around naked, <laughs> according mm-hmm. to my roommates. Um, I don't know, and it was it was really bad. You know, it's there are funny aspects of it in retrospect, but it it was very dark and. Um, I don't know. I was on those three for a, a while, and then uh, the side effects got to a point where I was just, I didn't know who I was anymore, and I was so scared for my life. Like, I, I, I felt like, I felt, I don't know, I, I felt deep down like something is wrong here. I, I never used to experience any of this. Um, I got to get off these meds. And so I, I, and I was having constant suicidal ideation. Um, and I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't feel safe. Um, I dropped out of school at the end of that year, um, beginning of my second year. Cause I couldn't, I could not be there. I couldn't function. Um, and yeah, I dropped out and, uh, a few months later, I, I checked myself into a, a psych ward, and um, it was the most my, my times I've been in in a, on a fifty one fifty three times now, um, all at the hands of these drugs, and um, it's the most traumatic experiences of my life, um, other than this whole withdrawal process, um, which I guess it could be considered part of. But yeah, the the times in the psych ward were. Um, I can honestly say not being dramatic or embellishing at all I would truly rather die than ever see the inside of a psych ward again I, I, I really mean that what, hap- um, what happened in there that, 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 that kind of makes these the kind of the pinnacle in terms of worst experiences of your life each time had a different thing that happened that made it so horrible the first time I was um pretty violently attacked by another patient um there's also i mean the the second time was during covid and uh the hospital made up some stupid thing about covid making it unsafe to have multiple wings open as if that makes sense we're in a hospital and and they closed down a whole wing of the psych unit and put everybody in the same one at like ward. So all of the like really violent people were with all of the really nonviolent people like me. And, uh, I was genuinely afraid for my life that whole time. Um, I heard the, that same time I heard the nurses talking about, uh, talking about me and another patient in Spanish. They, I, I don't, look it but i'm hispanic i'm half cuban and um i i guess they just assumed i wouldn't understand they were just they were just dragging us through the mud in spanish um i remember hearing them say we were lazy low lives who just didn't want to work um and um calling they called us animals a couple of times and just looking at us like with these really awful looks and it was just really sad mm-hmm. um and um, the worst thing of all was the way, I, I, I think I said this at the beginning of the, or maybe I haven't touched on this yet, but 
Um, the way that the psychiatric institution, once you are a patient of psychiatry, you you kind of waive a lot of things without realizing it. You 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 enter this system in which, like, for example, for me, I started with what I would now consider pretty minor anxiety and depression compared to what I have now. But like, I started with that. And then from the moment you, you become a patient, anything that I started to experience at the hands of the medications was then blamed on me. It was, it was my illness, you know, it was anytime a side effect and that's what they are side effects. Anytime a side effect arose, it was, Oh yeah, sounds like you're getting worse. You're going to need more meds, you know? And it, it was never like, it never occurred to anybody that, Hmm, I started taking Cymbalta and then for the first time in my life started to have horrible insomnia. How is that not like, how does that not cross people's radar? You know, like how is that my fault? <laughs> like it just, it felt very, um, victim blamey, like a lot of it. And yeah, they don't get, see the side I'm, effects. Any anything that happens to you after you're in the system, they start thinking, "Oh, this is you know Matt's Matt's anxiety. He's now developed bipolar disorder. You know, it's like it everything right. is contained within you, within your pathology, rather than anyone even maybe taking the time to say." Oh, actually, he never developed. He never had insomnia until we put him in Sebolter. I, I suspect they probably didn't ask that kind of history when you were there. No, and and a lot of it's frustrating because I feel like a lot of doctors that I've met, at least, they they double down, and and I feel like there's a really big ego component in it. Like, I felt like any time I challenged anything they were saying, they would just get like very um like their their whole demeanor or at least especially like well, I'm thinking of one person in specific but um like I just remember the whole demeanor changing and and st it kind of felt like he shifted into talking down to me and like um I don't know I, I think you were just like a troublemaker of, I think that's you know yeah. you start asking questions and then you're just trying to thinking you're trying to make things difficult. I don't know. Yeah. And, and it's not yeah. that it's just like, I don't know. It's, it's a really tricky thing because I understand that there are, there are people that come through the system that, you know, it's, it's hard to speak to or reason with and, and, and everybody's different. There's, you know, I'm not an expert on all of this, but there are so many people that, don't need to be drugged into oblivion that are are being drugged like crazy and these drugs are dangerous you know there's proof coming out now every day about the, the neurotoxicity of these compounds like it's it's not we're not playing with something light here and neurological injuries are some of the longest things to heal in the body like i can speak from experience um well, t t t take us there matt so so walk us forward from kind of, you know, being on the Cymbalta with the Seroquel to like, um, walk us forward to like kind of now, you know, how did things evolve from then to kind of where you are now? Yeah. So, yeah. 
Um, just, I'm going to get there. The last thing I want to say about the psych wards was the reason I brought up mm-hmm. the, the kind of like waiving your, um, a lot of your rights are like, like once you enter the, the, the psychiatric system is because the, the thing I experienced in all three of the 5150s that I was on is, um, the, the thing they all had in common was forced medication. Um, mm-hmm. I was not allowed to deny things, you know, they were, they made it clear to me that they were going to put me on something and that, you know, they wanted my feedback on it, but that I needed to be on medication because I was sick and I was only, I really believe I was only sick because of the drugs. And the worst part of the whole experience was the last, the second time and the third time, the latter two times. The first time I asked them to switch me from Cymbalta back onto Prozac, and I was willing to do that. I, I was along for the ride because I still thought maybe the Prozac helped me. Um, and uh, the second two times, they 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 made it clear that I was going to be on something. And any time I, I described side effects that these drugs were giving me, um, once once like I, this is an experience that i've heard from so many people in the protracted withdrawal community once you are injured in this way for some reason you can even reinstate what you were on and a lot of us it doesn't it doesn't do anything yeah it's like it's like something happens in your body that just just really injures your your brain and your central nervous system and then they will no longer tolerate what you what you were formerly taking um that's what happened to me at least and they wanted to they i told them about the insomnia problem because once i got off the drugs one of the things that skyrocketed was i I wasn't sleeping at all ever um maybe maybe an hour a night of really shallow and and nightmarish sleep um and i was desperate after a few months of that is why i ended up in the hospital the second time and they gave me Seroquel for it and they told me um, I, I when I told them this feel like when I take this it feels like I'm being electrocuted and it, it it it's giving me these like physical symptoms I couldn't really even describe and I'm not sleeping that it, I'm lying there in pain all night and they looked me in the eye and said that's not possible that doesn't happen to people and I was like, just that feeling of like, I'm a prisoner here. I cannot get out of here unless they tell me that I can. And they are prescribing me things that I must take in order to get out of here. And to be basically, like, I realized very quickly, I'm not getting out of here unless I take these pills. So I just thought, okay, well, I guess I have to take them for a few days and I'll just flush them when I get out. But um, yeah, I mean, I was in a constant state of akathisia, um, which I'll get into later, but like I was in akathisia the whole time pretty much. And uh, knowing that these meds, I I didn't know how I knew this. I just felt it that these meds were causing that. And knowing that I had to take them in order to get out and that they were going to make it worse. It was, it was like being tortured. And, um, anyway, um, you were asking about like where this all led and what's happening now. Um, yeah. 
So about six years into the journey, I became very determined to get off the meds. There were a couple of instances that happened, um, not just a couple, it actually happened a lot uh, in 2018. There were probably five or six times that I could not get my hands on Klonopin, no matter how hard I tried. Um, I had a prescription and because of whatever, whoever wasn't doing their job or whatever was going wrong in this broken like communication between my pharmacy and my psychiatrist, like I could not get them to kiss and make up and they wouldn't talk to each other. And I, it was driving me crazy. Like for a, a solid year, I was like, guys, like I keep going to the pharmacy and they don't have my prescription. What's happening? And the pharmacy would say, oh, they had never called it in. And then the doctor would say, we called it in. They didn't answer. So I was like, okay, who needs to, like, <laughs> why am I the middleman here? You know? Um, and I had been on Klonopin for three years at this point, every day. Um, and, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not an expert on all of the science of all of this, but I know that benzos are not, I, I don't know if it's all benzos, but a lot of them are not supposed to be used in excess of six weeks. So mm -hmm. um, that's crazy to me that I was on them for three years. Um, and once I got off of that, I, I, I reached a point where, I became so fed up with not being able to get these pills. Anytime I would miss the clonopin for a day, even I would literally like go into like full body, like profusely sweating, shaking so hard I couldn't drive. Um, like I would, there was a couple times I blacked out, um, like just got like horrible adrenaline tunnel vision and had to like pull over and like just blacked out for a few minutes. Um, and it, it was feeling really uns it was feeling very dangerous. And um, any t again, any time that I missed a dose, and that kept happening because no one would communicate. So I got really, really pissed off about the system of it, and I I just started to feel like I was like I, I barely I would go into the psychiatrist, barely talk to them, and then they'd write me the same prescription as always, and I just felt like I was participating in, in like a legal drug dealing scheme, you know, it just, it didn't feel any different. It was, it's so transactional, right? It's not like they really yeah, and, and I was spent a like, lot of time like, with you. Yeah. yeah. It's these drugs are, are legal and it just, it didn't feel any different to me than buying drugs on the street. Like, except, except it was a lot more expensive because of the psychiatrist's appointment, you know? Um, the doctor I was working with was like only partially covered by my insurance. So I was just kind of like, I'm shelling out a fortune for these meds and not really like being listened to like, what the fuck, what am I doing? And so, and seeing, you know, the, seeing the state it would put me in to be off of them, even for a day, I just, I felt like an addict and, and I felt like I don't want to be, you know, enslaved by these meds. So I decided to get off of them and um, my doctor told me, oh, you're on a small dose of clonopin. You can just go ahead and stop. And um, Was that your only drug at the time or were you still on the, uh, the other kind of cocktail? Oh, no. I had been on and off lots of different things at this point. But mm -hmm. toward the end, for, for a long stretch, 
toward the end of my medicated time, um, I was on clonopin and a pretty large dose of Prozac. Okay. Um, 80 milligrams. Mm -hmm. So I was on, I was on those two things at the end. So I was instructed to cold turkey off the clonopin. Um, I did. And that was the very end of 2018. First thing to go was my gut. Um, you know, a lot of people call it benzo belly. Um, suddenly, you know, I, I, within this, within about nine months, I would say in 2018, I went nine months, 2018 and 2019, like spanning um, both. I went from being able to eat just about anything I wanted other than dairy. I've never tolerated dairy well, but I went from that and not really thinking much about what I ate to there were really no foods that I could tolerate at, at for a long, a long time. Um, I was so sick. I, I was starting to, I don't know. I, I feared for my, um, like mortality at, at certain points of this because I was losing so much weight and so weak and ill. Um, I, I looked like a skeleton. I mean, I was, I'm, I'm pretty thin now and I was mm -hmm. probably 15 pounds lighter than I am now. Um, I, I looked dangerously sick and I, I mean, this is gross stuff, but I, I don't really have anything to hide here. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to share it. I, I was having so much diarrhea. I couldn't leave home. Um, and it was like, it wasn't normal. It was like on fire. It felt like, like pure acid was coming out of me and it was, it was burning my skin. And like, it was, it was horrible, incredibly, incredibly painful every day. Um, that, you know, that started very much so in the, in the benzo withdrawal. And then simultaneously, uh, oh, I mean, other thing, other physical symptoms, I would, uh, wake up in these, you know, adrenaline night terrors, um, completely soaking wet. Like I had just come out of a swimming pool, like like you could wring out my sheets. I was like drenched in sweat and, um, you know, physically shaking like visibly every day. Um, couldn't concentrate. Just the anxiety was just unlike anything I'd ever experienced. And, um, Matt, can I interrupt? I, I want to ask you more about benzo belly. Um, yeah. what would happen to you when you, um, ate foods like you couldn't tolerate? Like, so I know you kind of constantly had this diarrhea Would the foods like trigger other symptoms or get you revved up in some way. I was wondering if you could share a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it became impossible. Like I said, I couldn't find anything that I could tolerate for a long time. Yeah. Um, it, so it became impossible to like discern what was doing what. Um, but pretty much everything I ate would bloat me like with so much gas. It was like, I literally, I'm not exaggerating. I looked like a pregnant, like fully nine months pregnant woman. Oh like many times it, it was almost every day my my stomach would just be distended like a foot in front of me um and very hard 
uh, to the touch. I'd be doubled over in public, like just in this horrible pain. A lot of the time it felt like, it felt like someone was burning the inside of my body. Like it felt like there was like, it felt like I had swallowed like a lit blowtorch and it was just like going around in, in circles in there and like burning oh the insides of my stomach. Like it literally felt like I was being dissolved from the inside out. Like it was oh. excruciating pain. And, um, yeah. and yeah, it, it was, th th those were the main physical symptoms. Um, and yeah, just tons of diarrhea and, um, and yeah, like I said, I couldn't find anything that was sitting well. Um, okay. Okay. And uh, I mean, that's, I could go, literally go on about the gut stuff for hours. I've learned so much. I've found things that have helped. Luckily, I had a smoothie so, this morning. Yeah, so what? This is um, very exciting. <laughs> yeah, well, that's great. Um, maybe I'll come back to this at the end in terms of like what, what you ended up doing for food, but we um some people who discontinue the benzodiazepines they start to pace um did, did you you know sometimes it's just a you know the i guess the akathisia it's a very internal feeling some people talk about that restless and never being able to get comfortable and for some people that's coupled with a desire well it's not a desire you know it's kind of a compulsion you feel compelled to move all the time and you pace around did you have any of that going on when you were cold turkeyed from the clonopin yeah. Um, yes, I didn't have, it was more just overwhelming anxiety. And then it turned into full blown akathisia once I got off of the SSRI completely. Okay. Um, it, I think the way, I don't know, I've thought about this so many times and my theory about what happened with me was I think I was, I, th I think I'm still healing from benzo withdrawal, um, four and a half mm -hmm. years out. I really do. But, um, I do think that the, being on the, the Prozac and so much of the Prozac, every time I would cut, cause I, I cold turkeyed the clonopin and then I simultaneously started to taper down the Prozac and I was on so much of it. I had to go slow. Cause anytime, I mean, my psychiatrist advised me to go even quicker and said, oh, 10 at a time is fine, 10 milligrams at a time. And I told her, like, that's, I can't do that. I, I can only survive five at a time. And any time I would even make that cut of five milligrams at a time, it would, I mean, it was like opening Pandora's box. Like, it was all, it just there's too many to list, but like all of these symptoms I'd never experienced for one day of my life ever before this happened. Um, just, it would, you know, I, I would make the cut and then for two weeks be, you know, inconsolable. And then it would Peter or, or Peter out, not Peter out. Like it would diminish mm -hmm. a little bit after about two or three weeks, each time I made a cut and then I would make another because in my mind, I was in such a rush to get off these drugs because I was like, look at what they're doing to me. Um, if I can just get off of them, I'll go through a few more weeks of this and then I'll be okay. You know, I, I'll heal. Um, and I, so I do think that the being on the Prozac 
kept a lot of the benzo withdrawal symptoms at bay for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I got completely off of everything, it was a few weeks into being off of everything completely that um, I completely stopped sleeping and I was in akathisia pretty much all day, every day. Um, and I will never, ever be able to put into words what the withdrawal from these drugs has been like. It, it is, it has completely erased my former concept of reality and replaced it with like, I didn't know it was possible to feel these things. And I, I feel the need to share that without like, I'm not trying to be, I'm really not like trying to lay it on thick or be dramatic here. It's, it, we, we have to talk about this the way it deserves to be talked about because it is genuinely the worst thing I could ever imagine going through in, 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 in anything. Well, yeah, so t- <laughs> um, so it's tell the most us, painful thing. What was, what was like when you were at the peak of it, you know, coming off the, I mean, you've, you know, benzo withdrawal is beginning and you're still kind of coming off the Prozac. By the way, how, how long did it take you to discontinue the Prozac? Over what period was that done? Um, I did it over 15 months and I thought that that was slow. Um, yeah. It was not slow enough, in my opinion, uh, because okay. again, I was on, I was on 80 milligrams, so it was a lot. Okay. So, okay, so you come off the Prozac after, yeah, I mean, that's a decent taper, you know, you know, you know uh, on outward appearance, yeah. Um, what, tell me, what was it like at its worst, you know, when this, when it, when you got really hit, when you came off the, the Prozac as well, tell us kind of what those days were like. Um, it's, it, it truly, the only word that will come close is it's it was being tortured in my body 24 7 um that's the only way to describe it it's the only thing that could do it justice even a little it it's like it, it was the most like excruciatingly painful thing i had ever experienced or could imagine experiencing and and it didn't stop for and nothing i did stopped it like it took, it's been on and off like that for the past three, three plus years. Like it, it, it still happens sometimes it's, I'm doing better now for sure. I've had, um, you know, I've had some really good windows, uh, people in the community call it windows and waves of the pattern of healing from this. Um, and I have, you know, I, I've had reductions in some of my symptoms, um, but they kind of alternate and vary, you know, what's going to pop up on any given day. But the worst of it, um, when it was all of the symptoms, all at peak strength constantly, it was, yeah, it was, it was torture. <laughs> describe, describe the pain. So, so I know, um, just so people can have a sense of the quality of it, um, because, I think the pain, the quality of the pain is quite interesting. Like, you know, people say torture and they might think someone, I, I don't know what they think, but like, what, what, what is it like when like your body has turned on you in that way? Like, what, what does it feel 
like in you know in your skin in in your insides like in your muscles and your bones like what is that like i will list the symptoms because there's so many um i will try to list some of the ones that come to mind um the first thing i'll say is that all of these symptoms it creates this kind of like split um, that's the way I've experienced it is that I have had it, it it has separated my sense of self into two distinct things there is me that is in my body experiencing all of this and then there is my body because it's like you said it feels like your whole body is revolting against you and and you still have to exist inside of it it's the it's a really like it's a mindfuck for lack of a better word um, it's yeah very very um dissociative and awful um but the physical symptoms the physical pain is i mean like i said the gut stuff burning uh extreme like pressure and gas and and um uh, yeah just if you've ever you know had a bad a bad day on the toilet like just that pain in your gut like that uh Mm you know that uh, I don't I don't have a word for it but just that kind of pain um that was some of the physical stuff this only lasted like it didn't last that long thank god um it was mostly in the beginning during like the most acute phase of it but I would have this severe burning sensation in my scalp and down my neck and into my shoulders um for the first two years especially I would have this feeling of like electrocution um, that would start like in the back of my neck and and shoot through my arms and like into my core. Um, Felt like I was holding a fork in an electric socket or something. Um, And that still comes and goes, but it's not as bad. Um, Insomnia. uh, This is a really weird one, but like there's this, they call it like in the community, people call it toxic toxic sleep or toxic naps and it's like you're so exhausted your body is is like trying to sleep but i think it has something to do with cortisol and it's like you can't it's like anytime your your nervous system tries to calm down it like triggers the opposite response and like fills you with adrenaline and like this like gasping for air terror like Uh, that was what kept me awake for so many months in the beginning was I would not be able to fall asleep. Like no matter how exhausted I was, I would lie there and think all the right thoughts and, you know, try to calm myself down. And I would just, anytime I got close to sleep, I would surge out of it, um, against my will. That was another one. Um, profound fatigue in a way I, I'd never, I, like I can't compare it to anything because it was it was so much worse than any other fatigue I'd ever felt. Um, like, and and heart stuff too. I would. There were many many months. It was really like the first two years I physically could not do much. I I didn't work. Thank God I have my family and my, to support me uh, through that time. But um, I could not function. I couldn't move. Like I was the the most physical activity i could physically handle was moving from my bed to the couch like i literally if i got up to walk to the kitchen to get a glass of water or a snack 
whatever the case may be, just the act of standing up, I would frequently black out from standing up. I still do sometimes. Um, and I have to be careful to not stand up too quickly. Um, that I would get so unbelievably dizzy. I'd have to grab onto things. My heart would start racing from literally from, from the movement of shifting on the couch or standing up and walking a few steps, just that amount of physical activity. And my heart would race like I was running a marathon. Like it was like, I, I checked, I would time 15 seconds and count my heart rate and multiply it by four. And it was like over, it would be like in, in like the 180 area just from standing up. Um, so those are, I mean, those are some physical things that come off the top of my head. There's more, I promise you. Um, Let me ask you this. And then the, Did you have any changes to your, how you perceived sound, whether it was ear ringing or anything like that? Any changes in your vision, you know, how you could perceive distances or, or you know, how clearly you could see things or focus on things? Maybe you could kind of talk about how this affected other senses, if it did. Yeah. Totally, yeah. It, it yeah. absolutely did. Um, it messed with my vision a good amount. Um, it was like, it was like the brightness had gotten turned down in one eye and it was really hard to concentrate on things. Um, because like, I don't know when, when, when the calibration gets off even a little bit, like it messes with your depth perception and, and just a lot of things like visually it, it, it became kind of hard to perceive things at times that's gotten better. Um, it, still comes and goes sometimes, but it's mostly better. Um, the, uh, w overall, the way it affected me sensorially, is that a word? Yeah. Um, the most is it just like, it took like the threshold of what my brain could tolerate and erased it. It was like, everything was too loud. Everything was too bright. Everything smelled too smelly and tasted too tasty and like it was just it was too much like everything was just amplified to a, a thousand it was and it kind of, i don't know like you know they i know that there's something like 11 million bits of information or something like that that your brain filters through every second or something um it was it was like my brain couldn't filter anymore and all of that stuff was hit like I don't know how much of it actually gets processed through in a in a healthy brain but it just felt like too much was pouring in and I could my system couldn't adjust and I just felt like really really overwhelmed um, by all of my physical senses mm -hmm. um, and the by far the worst symptom I've experienced through the whole process of healing from this um, has been akathisia. And I just, I, I really need to share about that because it's, it's a crossover. This is like th the bridge symptom between physical and mental. Um, Cause I haven't even touched on the mental symptoms of all of this because they're, you know, more vague and I think people have a harder time like grasping them um, and not just writing that off as oh you're an anxious person um, 
akathisia is yes it's like you said it is a compulsion to move that's one aspect of it um but it is it's the most unique pain i've ever felt um there's nothing quite like it and it's confusing to me because it, it is so it, it's so um gray area between mental and physical like it's i i don't have words for it but it centers here a lot of the time for me um a lot of people i've spoken with who have survived it describe it like right under the sternum and uh it's i the the best way i've been able to put words to it in the past is it's like your body is so terrified it it's it's this surreal dimension of of terror it's not fear it's not anxiety it's it's complete terror and it's like that manifests physically into this pain right here and there are no words for it so it's it's kind of like a like a wind knocked out of you like like an ache almost but it's that doesn't cut it it's absolutely excruciating and um yeah like that is what would keep me awake for months that's what i like when i get the the terror surges in the mornings especially still um it all kind of centers here um and overall akathisia it's like it's it's like the the highest level of fear manifested in the body is is the way i would explain it um for me the movement is um when it's at its worst it's a must it's not it's not something you can control you have to move um and uh i don't know it feels like my whole system is telling me like i'm you're going to die if you don't move right now you have to walk around you've got to walk around so when you see people in the psych wards you know pacing around all night long and you're giving them these drugs like you may very well be doing that to them and and people deserve better than this and so it's just yeah um uh i just yeah quickly like if anyone out there watching this is is going through that just just survive it and i'm sorry that it's happening to you cuz it's the worst thing ever um um that's so interesting that you mention it that it strikes you here because one of the most common thing that i hear working with patients with uh, uh benzodiazepine injuries is they talk about diaphragm pain you know they they're, they're always saying there's something going on here i don't know what it is it's just like there's this tearing twisting you know thing going on underneath it they also talk about as if someone's like they've been in the playground and someone has just kind of thrown a ball and it's just hit them like right in the gut um knock the wind out of you yeah you, totally like there's this like knot like deep in there but you're right i mean the the way to describe it is strange because I've also heard a lot of people feeling like this weird pressure. There's a pressure component and they say things like, I'm going to explode. You know, there's like, it's like, you know, there's a car engine just like revving inside me. I know you said that it felt like there was like this blowtorch in you that was just kind of flopping around in there, just kind of, 
you know, lighting things up. Um, someone's told me that it feels like there's just like a beehive, like within their body. And it's just like this, like buzzing. Some people tremble a little bit. Um, but you know, whatever it is, it just sounds like, you know, this really strange, never ending, um, intense discomfort, you know, of just like kind of, yeah, like you said, right centered here. It's not, I want to say quickly, like first thing, it's not never ending. And and that's important Hmm. to say, because there's going to be people watching this that are going through it. And please just know if you are, it's not never ending. I'm not in it right now. You know, I still go in and out of it sometimes, but um, it it does end and, and it is a thing that you can heal from. It just takes a really long time for some people. Well, tell um, us about that. So how that, long? How long did you have it for before you finally got like a window? Um, the akathisia has not been constant for me, and I'm really grateful for that because it is for some people. Um, there are periods of time throughout the, the past. I, I've been off of everything for 37 months now. Um, so a little over three years and there have been chunks of time throughout that, that it has been constant and relentless, but, um, the first, it's hard. It's really hard to put any kind of timeline on a lot of this as well, because, um, my own journey with all of this has been really nonlinear. I, I, yes, I've been off of. like the drugs I was on for all that time. I've been off of those for 37 months. But since then, I've been on multiple rounds of antibiotics, which can mess with all the same receptors, you know, GABA receptors, namely. Um, I've been on, I was for a year, I think a year and a half of this process, I was on low-dose naltrexone, which they put me on for gut inflammation. Um, which apparently I didn't know uh, until a year into that, that it can cause um, psychiatric, like uh, psychoactive side effects. And it, it does all kinds of stuff to your opiate receptors and causes your body to create more opiate receptors. And like, I don't know what's going on in the nervous system with all this, but like messing with any receptors in any way is, is a no go for in the way I look at it. And you know, getting off of that, getting off of naltrexone, I was on one milligram and getting off of that, every time I would cut it 0.25 of a milligram, that little, anytime I made that cut, I was in full blown akathisia all day, every day, nonstop. And so it took me ages just to get off of that. Um, and, oh God. Sorry, this is all really heavy. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. um, I for I had a point. I forgot what I was saying. Um, I kind of forgot as well. So it's, so it's, it's me as well. I think we were talking about when you healed, and then you were saying that it um oh, it kind of yes. came and went for a long time, and then it yeah, eventually it's just, left. But I'm, yeah. What I'm getting at is it's just, it's a very non, it's been very nonlinear for me. So it's hard to put a timeline on any of it because I've had a lot of setbacks. You know, I've had a lot of things 
that I don't, I think if they hadn't happened, I, I would probably be doing a lot better by now. Um, but I didn't know, you know, and that's, that's why I make the videos I make and, am you know, sharing my story and, and all the details of it, because I, I just want to be able to pave a clearer healing path for the people that are going to walk this after me. Um, I've learned so much through experiencing can, it. Um, can I, can I ask you this? Cause, cause, um, you know, we didn't really touch on the psychological and I think, I think that it's often overlooked. I mean, people talk a lot about the physical stuff, but the, the psychological component of being in that state is also really important. I know it's vague. I know it's kind of hard to describe, but what is that state of terror? Like, you know, kind of when you're going through it, like what, how does it twist your mind and your thoughts and, and put you in a hole? Like I know a lot of people talk about suicidal thoughts, end of life. I mean, there's a lot of dark kind of obsessive like quality that happens during those states. Um, but I want to know your story and what it was like, you know, how your mind kind of, cause, cause people say their mind turns on them as well, especially oh God, you yes. know, when it's really <laughs> severe. So, so tell us about that. Yeah. Um, it's the, again, like I, I could talk about this for a week straight, never run out of topics. Um, cause yeah. it's so intricate, but, um, first thing that comes to mind is this has, I won't get into the details on this. There's other videos I have up that I talk about this a lot more, but, um, this whole thing has been, has blasted me open spiritually in a way I, I didn't expect, um, because of, I don't know what it's put me through has really, um, created a, a connection to whatever's out there. I don't want to say any, any words that are going to, you know, alienate mm -hmm. any groups of people, but whatever is beyond like all of this, um, it has connected me to that in, in, in a way I, I don't think I could have gotten any other way. And I am grateful for that. Ultimately, um, it, it, it got me there because it is so like otherworldly level painful. Um, it's, it's, it's so hellish for lack of a better word. It's, um, it, it kind of, it, it, there's so many metaphors I could use, you know, um, diamonds under pressure, being forged in fire, all that kind of symbolism. It, it, it sounds cheesy, but it, it feels true because when I have gotten windows, at this point, like I, I don't get a lot of them yet, but I have had some and I didn't really get any for the first three years. So I'm glad to be getting them now. It's a sign of healing and improvement. Um, and when I do get them, I had a really good one about a week and a half ago. Um, the, uh, it's not that the anxiety is gone. It's, you know, I, I, I'm gonna, I think, you know, be coping with that probably my whole life. Um, I'm a very sensitive person, but it's, it's that anxiety, like a normal level of anxiety that's not being induced by a brain injury is so 
like it's so pales in comparison to anything that these medications have put me through that like it it doesn't phase me like it, it when I've had those windows you know my same insecurities and fears and whatever they'll be there but there's so the volume is turned down so much compared to this injury that mentally and and spiritually i i look at this type of journey as it's like high altitude training is the is the metaphor i always use it's like you are being put in such an extreme set of conditions to work on yourself it it forces you to work on yourself and you know so many people come out of this you know completely redoing their whole diet and the way they treat their bodies, everything they put in or on or around their body. Like a lot of people make big changes in these areas. I know I have, um, and was, you know, uh, encouraged to by people who've walked through before me, um, that once all of those things catch up, like once all of the work you've put into yourself in trying to heal from this pays off, it pays off in, in, in spades, you know, it, it's like when you're suffering this badly for this long, once you get through it, like, and you don't have to fight for basic everyday life isms anymore, mm -hmm. it feels miraculous, you know, it feels like you can do anything. And so, for me, what I've had to do for a long time in this injury is I have had, and it is a practice. And if and for anyone who's not there yet, that's fine. It's, it can take a long time to develop like a sense of acceptance because so many people told me this, you know, my mentors, the people I've spoken with in this community who survived it, you know, have encouraged developing a sense of acceptance around all of it for so long and I have had to do that it's the only thing that has kept me alive is accepting that this is going to take however long it takes and that timeline is, is different for everybody and nobody can tell you how long it's going to be for you um, but yeah I mean like developing that sense of okay you know surrendering to it as horrific as it is um has been the thing that's kept me alive along with a lot of support you know and um you have to or at least i had to create this kind of a split inside of my own mind of like this is my intention this is who I want to be and the things I want to do. And it's not possible right now. You know, it's not, it, I, and I would try, you know, I would try to do all kinds of crap that I wanted to do in my life. And I still try sometimes. And you have to keep meeting yourself where your body is at, where your mind is at. Like it does no good to pressure yourself into trying to push the boundaries of where you are in this healing process. Um, and Matt, can Cause, I cause it's can not, I ask you something? Uh, yeah. Um, a lot of people going through states of akathisia, they they take their life, um, 
and um, it, it doesn't surprise me because it's so hellish. Um, did you ever struggle with those thoughts? And then if so, what allowed you to keep on going when you were in the pits to kind of get to the point where now you sometimes have these windows and you can see, I guess, a bit more the light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah. Um, it it uh, it really does come down to serve. It, it's a it's one second at a time. When it's that bad, it's it is truly moment to moment. Do whatever you have to do to survive. I mean, that's that's really the the best answer for it because I've had to do whatever I've needed to do in times of akathisia in order to not kill myself. And ultimately what I find the most vital thing for me in that process has been the support I have from other people. You know, if, if, if you know somebody who's in this, understand that like, I don't know, I, I want to say this right. Try to push the boundaries of what you can tolerate from the loved from people in your life that may be going through this, and understand that like it is so indescribable what they're what they're dealing with. They they may like people may act in ways that you've never seen them behave in in this state. I have and what has been so important for me and kept me alive is having people in my life that the like a metaphor I used in the past is it's like when this happens I I'm going to burst into flames luckily now I, I kind of can see when it's coming and um, you know I guess warn people or not not like mm -hmm. that, but I can I can do what I need to do to like get myself in a in a place to be safe, um, and it's like when that happens, I am going to burst into flames whether I like it or not. And what I need, and I've communicated this to the people closest to me in my life, what I need in those moments is people who are willing to put on the flame suit, you know the the flame. Yeah. Uh, you know, the fireproof suit um, and, you know, be there with me until it, until I'm not on fire anymore. Um, and I'm so lucky and grateful and blessed to have people in my life that believe me and validate all of this and have been, you know, the support I've gotten from my friends and family has been life or death for me. That's what saved your um, life. It sounds like being being able to 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 go through this with people. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. and that also on my part comes from you know being willing to be really vulnerable with people. And I know that not everybody's there, but I would encourage if you can, like for people who are more reserved about all of this, like try to find you know one or two people in your life even if it's people in the community and that's why i think the community is so important is because we all get it you know like we everybody in the withdrawal world understands just how bad this is 
And when I had nobody, you know, when my friends and family didn't understand, because they didn't in the beginning, they really did not get what was going on. And it, it, it turned a lot of people away. Um, but when I didn't have that, I had the community and I had the people I met through Intercompass um, and Intercompass Exchange. If you haven't heard of it, go check it out. Um, I had, you know, coaches that I worked with that have been through it themselves um shout out to angie peacock um like i had people out there that th that's why again that's why this community matters so much is there are people out there who have been through what you're going through and um can at least encourage you and give you reassurance that it will end when you're in those dire circumstances so yeah, ultimately, biggest piece of advice, don't be afraid to lean on people, even if it's people in the community. Find people that you can talk to about it. Um, because I can't tell you how many times I have been pacing around my apartment until my, you know, legs are going to give out, shaking my arms and, and crying and um, waiting for it to stop and just being on the phone with somebody uh, who is telling me, you know, it's going to be okay. It's going to pass. I'm here and listening to me, like just not feeling alone has been so, so important. <laughs> what a, what a great response. Um, and, um, Matt, I was going to kind of segue to kind of another line of questioning about, um, you know, talking a little bit about how you shrugged off your identity as having like a psychiatric problem. But before I go there, because we're still on the topic of withdrawal and symptoms, I want to pause and see if you if the, if if you have other comments and other things that you want to talk about related to recovery from protracted withdrawal injury. Um, I, I don't know. I, I have nothing specifically is coming to mind. Um, I have so much to say about it. It's hard to pick any ways of narrowing it down but um, I guess the biggest thing is just for the people who are out there that are for the people who are out there that want to come off their drugs at some point and are scared now um, please understand I'm never trying to scare anybody and also like this does not happen to everybody and if you no, do it, it safely it very well you know it, it very well you may dodge all of this <laughs> a lot of people do well, um, even unsafely, you know, yeah. although that's not, that's not advised to do it unsafely, but a lot of people cold turkey themselves and they're fine. Yeah. 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 So, you know, don't big piece of advice for everybody, uh, whether they've been through it or not, don't take on anyone else's story other than your own, um, your own. Uh, it, yeah, it's, it's different for everybody what happens. So that's, and anybody going through it right now, um, just please hold on. And I know that I know better than a lot of people that your brain is going to serve up every single reason in the book that you are you are the different one, and you're not going to be okay, and you're not going to heal. Um, but I really do believe that we all can if we just keep going um, yeah. as much as that's impossible to do sometimes. So please just find whatever it is that you have to do to survive this. And you deserve to see the other side of this. 
Um, you deserve to to heal based on what what you're going through. Um, you know, you have a right to to see the rewards from it. So, great. Yeah. So, so let me ask you this. Um, there's this whole idea, you know. So benzodiazepines, antidepressants, and the rest. I mean, they ruined your life essentially. You know, they they threw you into hell. Um, and Temporarily. Th- thankfully, you're coming out of it now, and you're seeing the other side. Um, um, but there was a time at the beginning where, I guess, you were willingly taking these medications. You thought, I, I imagine, you thought you had a mental mental illness, and that's why, and that you needed to be on them. Can you walk us through that process of like? how you got lulled into thinking that you, you know, you had an illness that needed medication and then what it was like waking up from that, you know, once you were like, once you were in it, you know, because I always think that journey is a really interesting one um, about how it even, how it even starts. And then, because, because here you are now looking back at it and just being like, that didn't need to happen. And so I always like to think about, uh, and and so yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on like what you think had gone on in your life and how you kind of got lulled into being on the medications and and all of that. Yeah, um, I think it's a really multifaceted thing. Uh, I think it's the the world we live in. Um, I, I I I just the way I see it, the society that we live in. Uh, creates a perfect set of conditions to get trapped into something like this. Um, it, it's so broad, you know, it's like the, the problem is so systemic at this point. Um, it has to do with the way, fundamentally, the way we relate to each other and the way we, the way we're conditioned and taught about life. Like, I feel like negative emotions are demonized, you know, and, um, especially, I mean, sorry, but especially in American culture, like (laughs) it's, it's this, there's this huge, very profitable. So there, there you have your reason for it, but like, there's this huge complex in our, in our society of, um, you know, chase pleasure avoid pain and anything you have to do to do those things that ultimately digs you into a hole like the way i see it like and it's it's all it's so many different aspects of life um i could get very long-winded and philosophical about this but like you, you if you're like it's normal it's human to have negative feelings you know you're not going to be happy all the time you're not going to feel great every second of your life. So I guess just like bravely facing those things and and teaching each other that it's okay. You know, it's it doesn't mean you're sick. And, you know, like, I, I hate the way that the psychiatric system has diseasified all of these human experiences. You know, like, I'll hear the descriptions of things that they call disorders. And it's like, that just sounds like a person having a bad day. Or like, <laughs> or, you know, like, or, you know, a coping mechanism or something like, I feel like there are so many human things that get turned into diseases by this 
system. And, um, yeah, I just, I think that it's important to like, again, I'm not an expert on everything and, and there are so many different manifestations of mental illness, which I think is a bullshit term, but like, there are things that are kind of outside of my wheelhouse, but I have theories about a lot of it and I'll go into that in my own videos. But like, I guess confront your humanity is what I want to say. Like embrace your humanity and, and know that life is a challenging thing and that that's okay. And that's, I believe why we're here is not to coast and be comfortable our whole lives. Um, I want to yeah. I want to talk about something that was interesting with your story and this is me putting on my little like, you know, therapist hat. You know, it happened when you were 17. And so when I think about 17, mm -hmm. I think about high school ending, going to college, big expectations, doing well in school and things like that. And there was a crumb there you, and where you mentioned that your parents were worried about you. And it's something that I often I often hear a lot in other stories that, you know, the people that we love, you know, our parents, they're all conditioned the same way we are. You know, they, they all see the same ads. They all see the same stuff. And that, you know, there, there tends to be this kind of pressure from our loved ones when when we're suffering. You know, they see that we're in pain. You know, they see that it's, you know, maybe getting in the way of the things that we want to achieve. And their response tends to be, you need to go and see a doctor, go and see a professional, because that's what you do with everything else. You know, when you're yeah. struggling, let's go see an expert. And so I wanted to ask you in your story, like, did that play a part as well? You know, you know, family, loved ones, they're kind of also the way that they were seeing your problems and how they thought that it should be handled that ultimately kind of also led you to going in that direction. Yeah. Um, First, the first thing I want to say is I don't blame my parents for any of this. Like, mm -hmm. it's not their fault. And yes, they encouraged me into this system, but I, I also walked into it, you know, and um, it was a, a collaborative effort. Um, yeah. And kind of broad strokes, uh, philosophical, societal kind of stuff. I, I think that it's like you said, the, the reaction that we, I feel we're all taught in life to have toward pain, negative emotions, you see someone in pain and it comes from a good place, but you know, the path to hell paved with good intentions kind of, kind of thing. Um, I, I think that, you know, a lot of, a lot of us, we want to make the pain go away and we want to, you know, um, we, we want to get our love, especially when it's somebody you love, like you want, you don't want to see them in pain. But I guess like the most important thing to me is we've got to normalize not being okay. Like, because that's part of life. The way I see it, it's never going anywhere, at least in this human earth experience now. Like mm -hmm. it's not, that is part of part of the gig you know it's 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 one of the rules and so i think like my philosophy with all of this is the only way out is through and my whole practice and and online presence that i'm starting is is other side wellness you know get to the other side um and the only way you're going to do that is through you're not gonna 
dodge pain. So I think that the best thing we can do as a, as a human race is get used to and get comfortable with the idea that we're going to see our loved ones in pain, we're going to be in pain, and instead of trying to make it go away and not deal with it, moving through it together is, yeah. I think, it, that's where I think the answer is. And so, so much of that is true. You know, I see people who have, you know, you know, a lot of the times this is where like, you know, anxiety and depression can start from, you know, you see people who are, you know, they've ended up in dysfunctional relationships, or they're going through divorce. And, you know, sometimes there's children involved. And they talk about this deep, crushing, hopeless sadness that they feel, you know, trapped in these relationships, you walk back with them, and you realize that, you know, they've, they've never really learned how to have healthy relationships, you know, they haven't learned how to deal conflict, deal with conflict, they haven't learned how to deal with their own the own way they respond to things and the only way through that is you know to get through that is to go through it you know like you said i mean you need to be able to almost work with a guide or find some you know listen to that voice inside you and not kind of rush to figure those things out because otherwise they keep on they just keep on happening and then and that's really where depre- like severe depression can can start it it comes out of just feeling trapped you know you don't have what you need to to, to navigate the circumstances that you're in. And some people's circumstances are a lot worse than others. And that's where, you know, things like privilege and where you grow up and, you know, the things that, that you have to go through. Some people get dealt a bad hand and, and it's yeah. a lot easier to become depressed when you're navigating more problems than other people. Um, so I, I think that was really nicely said, Matt. And, and, and the other thing I wanted to ask you about was how did you wake up? Because... A lot of people, they, they end up on these medications um, for a really long time. And I suspect you're going to say something like, yeah, because I had severe side effects, you know, and I, and I was forced to wake up uh, to it. But I, I, I want to hear your story about um, how you realized that you'd been misdiagnosed and you were on the wrong path and that, you know, something needed to change. Because I also think that wake up moment um, is also uh, really important because that's when things change. Yeah, um, this could easily get into a, a long, yeah. like, spiritual discussion, um, mm-hmm. but it, it is. I mean, that's the that's the answer I have for you. Is it was a spiritual experience for me, um, and you know, I'm not gonna like sugarcoat that. It was very, very profoundly divine intervention is is the way I, I look at it. I, I had a, a voice in my gut telling me for years, like these meds are doing something to you. It's weird. I don't like you shouldn't be on them. And I ignored it and, and kept taking meds and getting turned through the system more and more. And eventually it, it just got to a point where it was so loud, I couldn't ignore it anymore. And then the the turning point for me when I made the decision to get off the drugs completely was I, I was very seriously debating ending my life one night and um, I was alone in my apartment and I really really wanted to kill myself and I um, I was I was uh, I think I was just on my kitchen floor crying and something I, 
I it, something came into the room and it, it wasn't like it wasn't a hallucination. It wasn't I wasn't hearing anything. I wasn't seeing anything. It was just it was like a sixth sense, like something extrasensory happened and I, I don't quite have words for it, but something came into the room and it was like a presence that came all around me and I just heard in my body, um, the, you, you feel blocked from everything you want to achieve and do in your life and you don't know how to work through any of this stuff and you're not going to work through any of it until you get off of these drugs. And then it left. And I had this just deep intuitive feeling that these these drugs were stunting my growth my energetic growth my spiritual growth my wow. mental growth and they were fucking me up physically too so i just i don't know i felt like if I, you know i have so much i want to achieve in my life if i if i don't do this i'm not like i do feel like the meds really really stunted my ability to process many things traumas you know um insecurities fears like all kinds of stuff like i felt like it it put a, a block on all of that so that's that's ultimately when i made the decision um was really by being in the system and, and seeing the way it treated me and was treating the people around me um it just, I, I started to recognize it as a big money game <laughs> is, yeah. is what it is largely. Um, so yeah, I, I, w I refused to be a, a pawn in that. It, it pissed sure. me off, honestly. Like I've drawn a lot of strength from being angry. <laughs> A lot, of, a lot of people do. That's, that's, a, that's actually a big thing that makes people stay alive. You know, they start going, I'm taking these guys down, you know, and, and, and I guess here you are with all of the energy that you're putting into your, your new venture as well. Probably some of that's derived by the anger of the pain that you had to go through and wanting to help other people not do the same. Um, yeah, I, I, I really didn't ever want to reinstate meds because once I saw what the, what the drugs truly did to my body, I was so livid and I remain so angry <laughs> and I'm trying to work through it now. Um, but I was so enraged by what these people and these greedy fucking pharmaceutical companies did to me for a buck that I, 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 it honestly became like, I'm going to survive this in spite of you motherfuckers. Like, and, um, yeah. you know, whatever you need to do, if that's something that's going to keep you alive until you get to the next part, um, all the more power to you, you know? And can I ask, I mean, this is a bit more personal. You don't have to answer this one. If you, if you don't, when you came off the meds and you know, you know, that's that same thing. Like, what was there waiting for you? You know, when that voice was just like, hey, you need to work on this shit. Like, and you, the only way you're going to need to do it, like, is by coming off the meds. What did you find on the on the other side that you were like, hey, th these are these are things I need to to look at and try and work through now. Ma so maybe they maybe there were things that originally led to your anxiety and depression. I, I, I imagine that that might have been it or maybe it's other things yeah what this injury did to me um 
it's multifaceted and there's you know a huge component that is physical damage to your nervous system that is just not fair and terrible and painful to heal from um but what it did to me spiritually and mentally was um it took everything in my life that i was not confronting and dealing with and trying to shove under the rug and it put it right in my face because I don't know. It's like the way I look at it is like all of the trauma, all of the stuff you're not working through when you're drugged so much that you can't stay awake in public. I didn't touch on that, but when I was at the most medication I was on, I literally would fall out of chairs in public because I'd fall asleep yeah. if I didn't have a nitro cold brew in my hand. Um, so yeah, like when you're that comatose um, and in that much of a fog, it um, there's no way it doesn't stunt you from processing, mm-hmm. you know, your whatever happened in your childhood and whatever's happening now and your mm-hmm. insecurities and whatever. It's like so all of that stuff. The way I look at it is it, it like dammed up the river and Oof. Yeah. All, all of this stuff was trying to flow and building up and I, I use a lot of metaphors and um and then you know take away the the dam of these pills and it just everything from seven and a half years of being on the meds plus everything behind it oh God. came exploding into my consciousness at the same time and now like ultimately it's it even though it's been torture it has been a gift in many ways because i'm i'm acutely aware of the way i work now I'm still learning about myself, but like I get me in a way I didn't. Yeah. Um, I see the way my mind works. I can tell where I'm going that's leading me down a dark place. And it has taken years of this to get to a, like I, I'm start and again, I'm, I'm, I think I'm always going to be learning, but um, I'm starting to, to get it more. And, and yeah, it just, it puts it all in your face. And, and that's, that's the way I look at it is like, this is going to be there until you deal with it. So you might as well, you know? Um, yeah. Nice. Well, um, I think it's probably a good time to wrap, but I, I just want to say, um, thank you for sharing your story. I can tell just by talking to you that you have a lot to offer people, uh, who are walking your path and, um, and, uh, yeah, you're going to be really like an asset to this space. So, so can, can you tell us a little bit more about your, um, your endeavor, how people could talk to you, how people get could get involved with you, where you think it's going. I think that would be really nice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so right now, I'm still walking this weird tightrope of like, I, I, you know, I get windows and I'm, I am presently healing. Um, so it's, it's, and it's not linear, you know, um, I have really bad days and I have better days. D- today's a little better the past three were, uh, Akathisia city. So, you know, it's, it, it's very nonlinear. So I'm still navigating it, um, day by day of like how involved and present I can be with the, with the, this whole slice of the world. Um, and so like where I'm at right now is I do my absolute best to offer support whenever I can. Um, and I, I, genuinely like I'm not being 
a kiss ass. I, like, I really love to be there for people who are in this. I don't love that any, anybody is in this in the first place, but um, I, I, it, I feel honored to be able to walk with people through their darkest times because um, I've had a lot of help in that department that has kept me alive to where I'm starting to get to, you know, feel some peace sometimes. Um, so I, 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 it means the world to me to be able to pay it forward and um, help when I can. Um, but, you know, I still, at this point, as I'm still healing, I reserve the right to just be like, I can't. Yeah. I, I, I got my own stuff going on today. I can't do it. So um, best way to like get in touch, I guess, is um, I have a YouTube channel up. Um, it's called Other Side Wellness. And I make videos about different aspects of this withdrawal experience. Um, I haven't made any in a while, but I'll, I'm going to get back on that soon. It's just been a busy time. Um, and I, I'm, I'm always keeping up with the comments on that. Um, there's a link to my hypnotherapy website. I'm a hypnotherapist. Um, there's a link to that on my YouTube channel. It's othersidehypno.com and my contact info is there. Um, just please, like if you need support, I'm happy to be there for you, but please just text or email me first because um, I've been getting cold calls <laughs> lately and, and it's fine, but sometimes I'm like, I can't do this right now. Um, it won't be fine so, forever, Matt, yeah. you know? <laughs> that, that, yeah, that gets pretty full on, but that's, that's great. Well, you know, I think I'll I think I'll go ahead and end the recording now but you know thanks once more. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want to see the full video interview, we also post these to YouTube. Just go to Wit During Psychiatry on YouTube to find those. You'll also find several YouTube exclusive videos from Drs. Yosef and Marissa posted several times a week. Finally, if you need help with your drug taper, getting a second opinion or managing your post acute withdrawal, Come visit us at witduringpsychiatry.com. Our sole focus is on helping patients regain control of their lives and achieve optimal mental health on as little medications as possible.